London Addiction Recovery Breakfast. This is such a powerful morning. It really is. Is happening on September the 23rd from 7 to 9.30 at the Doubletree by Hilton. And two individuals who are going to be there are Andrea Aragon and Sean McCann. And Andrea is Sean's wife. Sean was in Great Big C. And Sean was here and shared his story when he didn't really even expect to. And it has changed his life. It's changed Andrea's life. And the two of them joined us just a little while ago as we talked about what they have done in writing a book together, where their lives are now, and maybe to understand their relationship and their journey through Sean's addiction, it's probably a good idea to understand where everything began. So we asked Andrea and Sean, how did they meet? Oh, well, oh, it's I, dirty. Is this d- daytime radio? It's, it's probably... <laughs> It is daytime. The sun, uh, the sun is out. Okay. Well, I'll give the PG version then. Um, and the the quick version is uh, it was a one night stand essentially. I had no idea about the band. I uh, my friend who was in one of there was three bands on this ticket, and my friend was in one of the other bands, and I was seeing them, and he had gotten me and my girlfriend's tickets. Yeah. And um, I may, may or may not have been interested in one of those other band members of this other band. <laughs> anyway, through the long and short of it, and that Sean... That didn't bother me at all. <laughs> Apparently. Nope. <laughs> Sean was having a bad day, and my friend, again in this other band, the Young Dubliners, sat me down next to him and said, Sean, meet Andrea. Andrea, meet Sean. And then, <laughs> then uh, that's, that's what we did. We uh, had a one-night stand, and then we're married and two kids That's now. That's what marriage is. <laughs> marriage is the one-night stand that never ends, I guess. You know what? When you find the person, the one-night stand turns into a much longer period of time. Well, it has for us, and it hasn't quite stopped yet. <laughs> no. never ends. It's eternal. <laughs> well, the fact you guys are laughing, that's what it's all about, Right. Yeah, I mean, rea- the reality is, and, and what we're here to talk about, um, well, certainly at the London Recovery Breakfast, is that we went through a lot and with Sean's addiction and with my own propensity for addiction, which we delve into a bit in the book. Um, what we didn't do is give up. And what we did do is a lot of hard work. And I think what we like to talk about in the book and what we wanted to highlight most was how the addiction doesn't just happen to the addict. It happens to everyone around the addict as well, especially family members. Um, And that's what I think we wanted to get across is, is this level of we hear you, we see you, or at least I did for my part. I hear you, I see you, and there is hope. I promise you there's hope. Um, and so when John came, John Deactus came to me about speaking at the London Recovery Breakfast because they are focusing on families and how addiction affects families, it was just, it was the right fit for us. We're talking. You know, I mean, just to go, go back ahead. for a second, I was really lucky to, you know, the, the chances of us meeting where we did in that way. And there's a big story about it in the book about how this letter showed up miraculously in St. John's, Newfoundland, and I, and I got it. 
you know, and so it's no accident, I believe, that we're together. But I also believe that the recovery breakfast in particular had a huge effect on my my own recovery, like in a real way. I was two years sober at the time. I hadn't learned how to how to face my truth. I was, you know, I, I really was fresh at this. I, I knew where I wanted to go, but I had no idea how to proceed. And uh, it was the recovery breakfast in London where I got up and I, uh, Polly O'Byrne introduced me and uh, showed me how to be brave. And uh, that was a game changer because I don't think if I'd seen him in person that day, uh, bury his soul like that and uh, talk about the reason why he drank, then I wouldn't have gotten around to uh, to facing my own. That was such a... Right away that day because I saw it would it could be done. Uh, Sean, going back to that morning, you had your guitar. You were up on stage. What was your plan in your head before you saw Paulie speak? I had a I had a big speech written and and prepared, uh, and it was all in prose, and it was like beautifully written. But it was, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I always interrupt him. But it, so but no, <laughs> no trouble to guess who's in charge here, who's in control of the interview. No, you go ahead and say what I was going to say. <laughs> okay, go finish the story. You finish the story, and then I will edit it for you. Um, yeah, no, I had the speech written. I'd spend a month trying to. Do it. It was one of the first times I'd spoken as a keynote speaker, and I knew I had my guitar there, and I'd written these songs. I put out a record called "Help Yourself," and I, I had a plan, but none of that was. I had no plan of. Uh, although the only person I talked to about what had actually happened to me, I was abused by a priest when I was a teenager, and that put me on a path of addiction. I had no intention of bringing that up or or going there like that was it i was just going to talk about you know what it was like to be sober today after 18 months and leaving the band and whatnot but uh, then paulie got up and and he just without hesitation uh, spoke his own truth and you know he never caught fire and blew up nothing went wrong it was a beautiful thing to see and then he actually looked like he had benefited from it he looked stronger he looked brighter he looked happier and relieved, and it was just so encouraging to see that it could be done. Like, my greatest fear was blown away by this man who got up and just had more courage. So it's, it's, it changed the tone. So then I abandoned my well-crafted, well-written uh, speech and just spoke from the heart, and I've been doing that ever since. Yeah, and as a, I don't know if it's something that they always do, but they were live-tweeting. There was no video on it, but they were live-tweeting, and I was kind of... I knew that they were going to do this, so I was watching the tweets come in, and then all of, it said, all of a sudden it said, Sean has disclosed that he was abused by a priest, and I was, I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now, and I describe it in the book. It was as life-changing as it was for him. It was, oh, I'm going to get emotional now. <laughs> it was so life-changing for me and for us. It was, it changed the game. Whew. And being able to face that hard truth, I think, was the pivotal moment in your recovery and our recovery as a couple. Yeah, there's one big lesson I learned, and we talk about it in the book. There's only one way to defeat a secret, and that's to share it and uh, shine a bright light on it. And that's why we do what we do. Um, we'll do it together in the London Recovery Breakfast. And we've done a few of these events, and they are lighthearted. We are, it's about, the book is also about our relationship and our marriage. And, uh, and how, you know, a marriage can withstand an addiction if we work together. You know, we are capable. If the guy from Great Big Sea can quit drinking, anybody can. And, again, I have Old Brown, my guitar, and I have Andrea, 
to support me. But and you know, there's always there's there's all you're never totally alone. You're never that because there's so many people who share this uh, the impacts of addiction. So that's what we can speak to. I think. Yeah, I think I think especially as a family member of of an addict, you, you do feel alone. You feel like nobody could possibly understand what it is that you're going through. Um, so you don't talk about it and then you're kind of wallowing in your shame and your anger and your sadness and maybe you get self-destructive then too. Um, it's really important that as a community and as a family member around an addict, you understand you, you're not alone, just like the addict's not alone because there are thousands and thousands of people struggling with addiction and in recovery we're not alone either because there's at least one if not two three or four people around that addict the 14th annual london addiction recovery breakfast that is september 23rd it is a Friday, 7 to 9.30, Doubletree by Hilton. You can go to Eventbrite and search London Addiction Recovery Breakfast, and you can get your tickets because it's always such an inspirational morning. And we're hearing now a conversation that we had with Andrea Aragon and Sean McCann. And Sean was at the Recovery Breakfast a few years ago and basically told a story that he didn't expect to tell, one that dealt with abuse, one that dealt with addiction, and one that fortunately at that point dealt with him being in recovery. But at the same time, he still had a lot more to deal with that he only came to realize after he spoke at that breakfast in London. This year, Andrea is going to be speaking about the impact of addiction on a family or on the members of that family who aren't battling the addiction, but they're definitely impacted by it. And what do you do as a family member? Andrea had mentioned there are a lot of feelings that you deal with, and we asked her if there's any sense of trying to protect the person who is fighting the addiction, maybe hoping no one else knows. I think that's part of it. I think, you know, it's multifaceted. I think there's shame involved. I also think that you're so entrenched. If you're in love and love somebody who's an addict, you're so entrenched in their struggle and their drama that you you tend not to look out, look after yourself. And that's a problem, number one, because we all know if you can't look after yourself, you can't look after anybody else. Just like if you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. And I think looking after yourself is a part of love of yourself. So I think there's shame. I think there's just being so caught up in somebody else's chaos and drama. I think there's depression. It leads to a lot of depression because why am I such a, a, why do I draw this person, this addict to me? And why can't I let go of him or her? Um, you question your own sanity. You question your own uh, decision-making power. I think there's, it's so multifaceted in, in why we don't talk about it. And um, I don't, I think for every person, it's different. Like, what's the big reason why you don't say anything about it? I, once Sean came clean, literally got clean and started talking about being in recovery, I shouted it from the mountaintops. I didn't stop talking about it. I would tell everybody that, yeah, no, he's not drinking. And they would look at me like, especially in Newfoundland, I would get looks like, why are you talking? Why are you saying what's wrong with him? (laughs) Well, first of all, what's wrong with him? (laughs) 
And then second is, second is, do you drink? Well, surely you can drink. And then third, it's, why are you talking about this? Just keep it to yourself kind of thing. So kind of made me want to shout it more. <laughs> and how do you deal with that? Mm. Uh, for me, I just kept talking. And, you know, Sean and I had to learn through this process that we had to talk to each other and trust each other on a different level than we ever had. Um, you know, when you strip yourself down to the bare, your bare self, get that vulnerable with your partner, when you allow yourself to get that vulnerable with your partner, you, and you find out just like Sean did at the first breakfast that you're, you're not going to explode and you're not going to, you know, self implode, then you can do it to other people and in front of other people. And it, it's so freeing and it's so it opens up your heart and then they can see that and you it's leading by example yeah there's a shift in perception you we all fear we don't want to admit weakness we all fear our egos won't let us go there and we see you know in order to be in recovery you have to first admit that you have a problem that you're the words have a problem there's something wrong with you no one likes and maybe the language needs to change you know it's um but, you know, what you learn over time is that uh, recovery is not a we weakness. It, it, to be to put yourself in that situation is to is to show strength, you know. So it's all a it's kind of a switch in your mind. It's like you, I stop looking at it. The, the, OK, these are flaws in my character. There were reasons for these things. Mm -hmm. These were coping mechanisms. And then as I became stronger and acknowledged the reasons why, I was strong enough to stop drinking, and everybody is. Everyone has the capability, but there's there is work. You know, you have to be committed to the work. So, yeah, I think that's why people. Um, I think it's natural for the human ego not to want to go there, but you have to. You have to acknowledge that. You know, these are these things happen. Andrea Aragon and Sean McCann joining us. They are going to be in London for the recovery breakfast. And that will be happening on September the 23rd from 7 in the morning until 9.30. They've also written a book that is called One Good Reason, if you want to check that out. Sean, when you do allow yourself to go there, is it is it a process that, that kind of just rolls seamlessly after that? Or was this the two of you sitting down and having some long, long conversations in order to help that happen? Well, I think we, you know, we've been there. We've been there for a while. So we're, we're used to being in that space. But we also know that there's many, many people who are still fearful of that space because it's a scary space to, to go. So we've learned that you can go there and you can be there and you can do work there and then you can walk right out. And that's what the book's about. It doesn't have, you don't have to, it's not a prison that you get stuck in necessarily. Addiction is a, is a prison that you get stuck in. Recovery is the gate that opens up. You know, that's where that's what it's about. And uh, we it's literally a change of, of mind, a sense of purpose, uh, a, a different path. But acknowledging you have you have the capability, you have the strength and then using whatever it takes, whatever's at your disposal, your disposal, whether it's God or whoever. Well, I don't care what it is to interrupt your addiction and then get back to the work of explaining why. You know, this is what's essential. And this is what, uh, you know, we, we think it's worth writing the book. It was hard to write a book. It was um, a lot of stuff that had to, you know, get, but it was good for me, healing process. Why? Because I can look back now on all those things that did happen. And my past is no longer a prison for me. You know, it's just, 
it's 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 I acknowledge what it was and it's doesn't determine my future anymore because I control what I do next. Andrea, you've done a lot of writing. What did writing this book do for you? I think what it did for me is allow me to really show Sean and this is and this is where we came to that we needed to talk more about it, really show Sean what was happening during his addiction. Um, he would write, it came to fruition because he would, he wrote about an event. He, uh, he had finished the book essentially. And I read it and he had wrote, written about some specific event during the time that he was drinking. And I was like, well, that's not actually what happened. Here's what happened because he doesn't really, he didn't at that point really remember because he was drinking. Um, so I told him, cause I had written down in my journal verbatim, the words that he had said to me that were horrible, ugly words and, and what had happened during this, this particular event. And um, I think, you know, Sean describes it like a victim impact statement. I think it was a light bulb for him. Like, I don't have the whole story. How could I have the whole story? I was in my own fog. So what it allowed me to do was get the understanding from him that I never thought that I would ever get because I had never shown him my journals. Why would I? You know, they were my own private thoughts. So it allowed him to, to, and he had to sit in that and sit and, and sit with all of that information, which is not, it painted him in a much worse light than he had ever painted himself. But it also made him and us stronger. Yeah, I had the benefit of amnesia, you know, and um, yeah. <clears throat> alcohol and drug-fueled amnesia. But, you know, we had a lot of publishers who passed on the book because they couldn't wrap their head around the two voices. Once I'd heard the journals, I'm like, that's the book. That's what makes the book better. That's what makes the book really compelling because marriage is a conversation and uh, a relationship. And I, I have, I can only speak to half. And there's lots I didn't know. So we stuck it out and held our ground and ended up finding a smaller publisher that uh, that let us do do it the way we wanted to. And um, I think that's, and again, this the theme of this year's Recovery Breakfast is uh, how addiction affects families. And that's what this book is all about. Well, that's what the two of you will be able to give to the rest of us for sharing all this time with us. Thanks for what you have done with your own story. You didn't have to do this, but... But you have, and I think you've helped so many people in doing so. So thanks for that. We hope so. There's always hope when, when you know, when people try to, to share something positive, that's hope. That's what, And that's what the world needs right now, like especially now. So we're going to wave that flag.